Uh, there was nothing else at all in the whole world but football. Hi guys, welcome to the Triple F for another episode of the Triple F Show. This week I'm joined by Mike to find out how St. Pauli have been getting on, discuss the difficult, painful and complex issues regarding racism in football and we finish it off by going through our best England 11s for the upcoming Euros. Hope you all enjoy. Yeah, let's just let's get right into the crunch of it, mate. Um, how are you? Buzzing, mate. Absolutely buzzing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because obviously the last time we spoke, um, well, the last time we spoke, we just had a, a a sort of chat about Julian Dix. But before that, you obviously came on the, the magic of St. Pauli. And at that point, things weren't looking so good. You were, I think, second from bottom, couldn't buy a win. And yeah, it wasn't, wasn't looking good, was it? It was all sort of doom and gloom. But about five or six games since then, Complete turnaround, mate, to be honest with you. I mean, we've gone from having one win. And I think we, yeah, we picked up one win. We had a couple of draws. Um, mm. But at the point of where we actually did that that podcast, yeah, we had one win. We are now eight wins, I believe. Um, we've won our last five games. Um we're 10 points from the playoff place uh, for relegation. So, yeah. And then obviously last night, 1-0. <laughs> Getting the local rivals, mate. What a day. What a day. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, normally when a, a sort of team has that much of a turnaround, goes from playing that poorly to that amazingly, going on that incredible sort of streak, is usually when it has that manager bounce, if you will. But this isn't. This is obviously the same manager. Um, so, what, is there any way of explaining what's going on? I think the biggest part of it is the the fact that he's put stability into the team. So early on in the season, there was a lot of chopping and changing, um, players coming in, dropping out of the team. Um, we had quite a few little niggling injuries as well. Um, since we obviously hit January and we brought in a couple of the January signings, um, Mamouche, um, Eric Smith, Matanovic, uh, no, not Matanovic, sorry. The goalkeeper, whose name I've now just completely forgot. <laughs> since since that, we, we've had a very settled team. Um, you know, we've, we've had the same team playing week in, week out. We've had, okay, Eric Smith came into the team. He did drop out last night. I, I haven't, heard why i'm not sure if it was down to a minor injury or something because he wasn't even in the squad um and benatelli came in last night he played absolutely fantastically in fairness um but other than that yeah we've had a, a stable team and mm. i think that just goes to show that obviously marmouche has made a massive difference up front for us and zalazar's hitting form again but having that stability has just carried us right the way through and yeah it's threw us at the table mate you know it's 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 fantastic do you think it's then a case of you know sometimes with managers they need to have the the right players in there they need to have that right talent in there so that they can really put their ideas across because with Schultz like you say so he's been there from the season things weren't going so well but now with the right players that he brought in in, in on January that's when you can really start to judge him and you can see where where things are sort of starting to fall into place 
Yeah, I think he he identified the areas that he really needed to strengthen. So obviously we needed someone with a bit more flair up top to support Bergstaller and Kaira. Um, we needed that that number six, that holding midfielder. And the goalkeeping position, it was something that he did look at in the summer, but didn't find anyone that was was suitable. He strengthened those in January and he's kind of built the team around those signings, not necessarily like the using them as the spine, but he's he's gone right. We filled these gaps. He's got the consistency as well with the players that have come back from injury. James Lawrence, another player who had a fantastic night last night, mm. um, someone who seems to really embody the club as well. He's so passionate. Um, since he's come back from injury, you know, he's he's formed. Well, he's been our mainstay at the centre uh, centre of the defence with ZRS as well. Mm. So, yeah, he's he Schultz identified the positions we needed, brought the players in, and they've slotted into that team. And we've got that consistency. No more plugging gaps with players that aren't right, aren't good enough. Um, and yeah, it's it's just worked. It's worked perfectly. Being sort of as realistic as he possibly can, where do you see St. Pauli finishing uh, this season? Realistically, I think mid-table. Yeah. Um, I think if you ask most St. Pauli fans out there, we would have all said, you know, mid-table, let's make it comfortable. Let's not flirt with relegation. We're not good enough to go up because if we do, we're just going to be the whipping boys of the, the Bundesliga. So we, we need time to build. Um, so I think at the start of the season, everyone would have said mid-table. There were times when it didn't look like that was ever going to be a possibility, but you know, now I think, yeah, if we can finish sort of upper mid-table, I, I would call that a fantastic season. I really, really would. I think, especially with the start that we had, um, it gives us a good basis on going into next season, mm. um, bringing the fans back into the Melentor, um, yeah. and and building from there. I, I, I do believe that the, the, the lockouts um, from the pandemic and stuff um, of the fans has had a, an effect. Yeah. But realistically, yeah, I think mid-table and we can look to build and maybe push on next season once the, the gate receipts start coming in, you know, a bit more financing and stuff because we didn't know where we were going to be bringing in players. Yeah. Um, we brought a large amount of players in either on loan or uh, free transfers. We sold one or two, um, a few left on freeze as well. So, He's now got that basis and that core to build on um, for next season. So, yeah, let's be comfortable. Let's finish mm. the season. Yeah. And, yeah, then we can really work towards next season and hopefully finish upper half. Again, do we think, you know, promotion's possible? Probably not. But, again, I think we want to be up there. And that's yeah. sort of, you know, top half of the uh, mid-table, as it were. Mm. I don't know, like from, from a sort of neutral perspective, considering how things have turned around so rapidly, considering the recruitment that you've made and how effective it's been, um, I don't think promotion is completely out of the realms of, of the impossible. But you never know in football. Obviously, football is one of those crazy things where, you know, you can expect promotion some seasons, you end up getting relegated. I don't want to sort of curse you guys by saying that, but it's just just to sort of give you, an, you know, an example of, of how crazy football can be. But, you know, the signs, the signs are looking hopeful. Mm, yeah, I mean, we would have to continue on this hellishly amazing form that we're on now to, mm. to really sort of look to possibly break that. 
um, you know, going back to the, the crazy realms of football, you know, up until a few weeks ago, HSV were top of the league. They yeah. looked like they were going to go up. They've dropped down to fourth now. Wow. And I think that, that just goes to show they've just capitulated. And the next two games I think they've got are against uh, Bochum, who are now top of the league, mm. and Holston Peel as well, who are second. So it's not looking great for them in that respect. Um, and yet, yeah, a few weeks ago, you never would have dreamt that they would have been in the position that they're in now. So anything's possible. We could, you know, really keep pushing, keep winning. Um, and yeah, we, we could end up, you know, sort of flirting with those promotion places. I don't think it's going to happen. Um, I can't see this form just continuing because... Yes, some fairy tales, mate. You know, it's, yeah. it's fantastic. But I'd like to, as I say, I think realistically we need to be upper, upper top half, you mm. know, eighth, ninth, would I'd be well happy with. Yeah. I, I know you might be reluctant to answer this one, but um, give it a go anyway, because as a, an <laughs> Arsenal fan, I'd be reluctant to sort of tell you how things are getting on at Tottenham. I mean, don't really know too much. I try and keep my eye on all things football, but when it comes to Tottenham, it does put a bit of a sour taste in my mouth. <laughs> but if you could, could you tell us why things are going so badly at Hamburg? You know what? You mentioned Tottenham, and I epitomised this with um, last night, actually. Yeah. HSV have been the Tottenham of, of <laughs> German football. They've spurred the it up. Yeah. They just, they bottle it. Every season, um, you know, for many years now, when they were in the Bundesliga, they've sort of flirted with relegation and just managed to escape. I think there was a couple mm. of times they might have even been in the relegation playoff um, and managed to win that. So they managed to stay in, in the Bundesliga for so long. And yet, when, when they went down, everyone was tipping them to come straight back up. And one thing about Zwei um, Bundesliga is it isn't that easy. There are teams that have dropped down into that league. Darmstadt were in the Bundesliga a couple of uh, couple of seasons ago. Yeah, they're struggling to stay in the second division. Mm. Um, Ingolstadt also the same situation. They're now in three league. Mm. So you know, it's not easy for someone to come straight back up. And when you've got the the money and the fan base that Hamburg have, everyone was just expecting an easy ride for them. Yeah, and they do. They do the Spurs every season. They just bottle it, mate. Um, yeah, I think the reason they finished fourth in the end, so missed out on everything. Um, <laughs> and looking that way again, they looked like they were having an easy season. Finally, got it working, and now, yeah, they've just completely bottled it. Maybe it's just not being able to handle that pressure when, you know, when the media start talking about it, and when even when the, the club themselves start believing that they're going to get promotion, maybe that pressure is just too much for those players to handle, and they just, like you say, they just end up bottling it. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's the thing. It's just whether they can actually maintain the uh, the pressure, the expectation levels as well. I mean, last season they had. Dieter Hecking, I think it was, as their manager. Mm. So there was a hell of a lot of expectation on them to, to just walk it. You know, he ended up um, going at the end of the season. Um, and they brought in this young manager um, this year to try and almost curb that expectation. And, yeah, it doesn't seem to have worked. It seems that, you know, the pressure is just mounting on them now and they're just starting to crumble. I mean, last week they lost to bottom of the league, first big kickers. 
Um, they've lost to their local rivals this week. You know, it's just, yeah, they're just capitulating massively. Just sort of within the, the realms of football, obviously it's never nice to see teams or players having a hard time of it. But when it is your rivals, it kind of, it does give you a little bit of a chuckle. But um, yeah, it's... Yeah, it's, it's just one of those things. It's just football for you. It doesn't always go the way that people expect it to go. And the players they've got, they should be, they should be at least, you know, top second easy. Mm. You know, we watched anyone that watched the game last night, you would have seen the first five minutes. They were a different class. Absolutely. They just came out as like straight out of the blocks. Mm. Um they got a free kick within the first minute, hit the crossbar. And it was like, if this carries on like this. And slowly we just grew into the game. And they just, again, yeah, they just bottled it. Not yeah. just you know, through the league and their league positions and every game. It's just they just bottled it. Mm. And, yeah, we just turned the screw more and more. Probably had the better chances all the way through the game. And, yeah, we we were denied a stonewall penalty. Um, ask any any fan. Or anyone. Yeah, I saw it on the Facebook feed. There was a lot of outcry. Yeah. You know, two-footed challenge. Um, he was off the ground, out of control. Um, went straight into Zalazar. Should have been a stonewall penalty. He reviewed it with VAR. Everyone was like, oh, is it going to be a red kind of scenario? Because he was already on a yellow card. Is it going to be a red and stuff? And then when he came back and overturned the penalty, I was like, <laughs> well, that was... That, that wasn't what we thought he was reviewing. Um, right. He managed to get slight contact on the ball, but went straight through the player. You know, when we were talking about Dixie the other week, mm. we were talking about those kind of challenges that are now ruled out of the game. Well, that was one that, you know, straight out of the playbook from 15 yeah. years ago. Yeah, it was <laughs> absolutely crazy. Anywhere else on the pitch, I reckon he'd have been sent off. That foul sounds almost the opposite of what happened with Suchek, where, um, you know, when you look at it on the VAR monitor, you sort of slow it down and, you know, repeat after repeat after repeat. It looks worse than it is. And maybe this is the kind of opposite effect where after repeat after repeat, it's actually ended up looking softer than it was. Yeah, yeah, which is which is absolutely bizarre. Yeah, we banged on about that with, you know, VAR making things look worse than they are. And because he probably got slight contact on the ball, he's overturned it. Whereas, mm. you know, if you look at, watch the Premier League any week, if you see a challenge like that, it's yeah. reckless. It's out of control. Um, and I'd say two-footed, off the ground, went straight through the player. But because he got a slight nick on the ball, completely overturned it. <laughs> um, and yeah, it was just, yeah, it was gobsmacking, mate. Really, really was. But yeah, you know, HSV, they, they played well um, in parts. But, they just they just lost it. They couldn't get anything decent in the final third. And, you know, as I said earlier about James Lawrence, he played absolutely fantastically. Um, a clean sheet for St. Pauli isn't something you'll see on a regular basis, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, more a 1-0 win. Um, but, yeah, they just marshaled them at the back. And that that's what won us the game. We just needed to take that one opportunity. And Kaira popped up with that beautiful, sweet goal. Maybe it's a case of two teams that are at the sort of polar opposites of each other because you've got Zampaoli that are in the absolute ascendancy, they're absolutely flying. And then you've got Hamburg that just look like they're just on a downward hill trajectory. And, you know, when you're in that sort of state, when things aren't going for you, it's a hard, hard task to get yourself out of that. 
And, you know, that's probably just the case with, with Hamburg. There's one thing I posted up in the um, Punks and Paratan Facebook group when I did my match review yesterday. We, um, I, I looked at the form and HSV had only won one game in the last five, which isn't obviously title contender form. St. Pauli had only lost one in the last five, and that was against Bochum, who are now top of the league. So, you know, you can't really complain about that. And it was 3-2 as well. We took it right to them. Um, so, yeah, usually when when it comes to a derby, form just goes right out the window. Um, but in this instance, we just carried on our, our, our fantastic run, um, and they just carried on their abysmal form, and <laughs> it just showed in the end. So... Oh well, well, I'm I'm over the moon for you. I have been ever since I covered St. Pauli for that Magic Off special. I have been keeping an eye on them. I'm, I'm, you know, I wouldn't call myself a, an out and out supporter, but I definitely have a, a small place for them in my heart. And um, and I can't wait till sort of tickets are available and we can start watching games again because I'll definitely get myself over to the Milan tour. But um, no, absolutely over the moon for you. And it's, yeah, it's incredible to see a team because I was kind of following them before we, we led up to the, um, the Magic Off special. And I could see, it was like, oh, I feel sorry for this team. They're just, you know, absolutely making pig's ear of it. But seeing how a team can go so badly and it almost it parallels along with Arsenal season in a way. Arsenal were having this real awful season, one of our worst seasons in, in decades. And we were just struggling to buy a win. But now we've turned things around. We're not as I don't think we're flying quite as much as St. Fowley are, but we're 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 doing a hell of a lot better than we were. Um and you know it's great to see, and it's nice to see another team doing that as well. Yeah, I, I think that's the thing, isn't it? It's you know, a club built on on values that both you and I believe in, you know, of yeah. that left-wing orientation, which is so rare in football these days mm -hmm. i think once you find a club like that even if you don't fully support them you'll always keep an eye out it'll always hold your interest and i think that's what a lot of people do they kind of they find st Pauli, and regardless i think you start just taking slightly more interest and you start just just following i wouldn't say supporting but following them and seeing what happens and yeah uh, there are people like me who have gone two feet first into it you know and fully emerge <laughs> themselves in the whole thing but you know I think yeah when you find the club you just end up following them yeah I mean what is there to to hate or dislike there's just there's nothing and obviously unless you're a conservative <laughs> in your views or politics then yeah you, you you probably won't like a lot but yeah I think even just normal people normal football fans will kind of appreciate what Zampali are all about and not you know, just as a sort of footballing side of things, they're they're not a flashy kind of Man City PSG. They're you know very much grassroots football, and that's you know that's refreshing to see as well. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think that's that's the case. Yeah, I think for any you know standard supporter, there are the the lefties out there like us, and there's hell of a lot of rights as well. But I think for your average Joe supporter as well, there's nothing to dislike about the club. There's nothing to to dislike about their values and you know what anyone who's who's watching this or listening to this who hasn't actually seen Zwei Bundesliga if you can get onto BT Sport and watch one of the games when they put them on because the quality of football is surprisingly high um 
and it, it's it's a great watch. You know, German football is fantastic anyway, but yeah, just the quantity of football in the second division is just it's just well out there. It's it's, it's fantastic. It's not hoof it and hope. It's it's proper football, and I love it. Yeah. Yeah, and I can second that because ever since you know we started chatting, I have been getting into uh, German football a hell of a lot more and the Zwei Bundesliga as well. And yeah, it, it's it's definitely definitely worth catching, especially for the fans that have more of a sort of uh, interest in in old school football, shall we say? Yeah, definitely, definitely. It's not. I mean, yeah, you know, you, the, the money is not necessarily there, so you haven't got your your fancy players and stuff because they'd be playing top of the league. But when you look at some of the players that have come down from the Bundesliga, and I'll use St. Pauli as an example, when you've got players like Zalazar from uh, Frankfurt and you've got uh, Mamouche from Wolfsburg, Mamouche was always on the fringes of the Wolfsburg team anyway, but he mm. dropped down a division to get regular first-team football. And you just watch him play and it's just... It's a thing of beauty. And then you've got Bergstaller as well, who left Schalke last season. And I'm sure he's happier where he is now than he would have been had he been playing at Schalke this season. But <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. You know, eight goals in eight games since he's come back from injury and stuff as well. He's he's a quality striker. He just He's your Van Nistelrooy, you know, he's your poacher kind of scenario. But He knows yeah. where the goal is. Yeah, and that's what matters. That's what matters. Um the HSV goalkeeper, Ulrich, he was playing Champions League football for Bayern when Neuer was out. And they mm. somehow managed to get him. I think they expected to kind of, I think he joined last season, it might have been. And they expected to get promotion and, yeah, bottled it. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, you know, the, the players are there and the quality is there. And it's just, yes, it's not your your fanciful Champions League teams and stuff, but it, the football is fantastic. It really is. Right, mate. We've had the the fun chat. <laughs> now we're gonna get our sort of teeth stuck into to more of the the. I think you sort of mentioned it before because we've got kind of lefty um, political views. This is going to be hard to to sort of get our teeth around, and and it's hard to get our heads around. Why? I mean, why we're having to talk about it is difficult enough. But um, just to explain to the listener, obviously we're going to talk about racism in in football um and before i do so mike i have got a jingle so i'm gonna play the jingle and then obviously i'll edit it in but um yeah. it's a, a jingle i've been working on for quite a while and i hope to create a, a, a separate show for it but i just yeah i didn't want to have too many shows so i'm going to try and crowbar <laughs> it into this one instead ladies and gentlemen welcome to kicking off For me, Project Big Picture isn't acceptable. If I can tell you that it's offside or onside, then accept it and move on. And one of my big regrets is that I probably should have ripped his head off. I don't, really don't, I really don't like this. You now, no, no, I know exactly what you want to do. I said what I said, do with it what you want. I think what we've been watching is, is faintly farcical. This idea that people in football were all going to look after each other with this football family, nonsense. Three premierships, and I won more premierships alone than the other 19 managers together. Three for me and two for them. Respect, respect. Um, so yeah, racism in football, where do we start, mate? It's um, it's a difficult one, really. Um, obviously, with 
I think I sort of stressed it before. It's just, you know, the fact that we're having to talk about it is painful enough. We, we shouldn't, not in 2021. It's now, it's gone on too far. But I think for me, one of the biggest issues is, is this kind of finding a balance in order to, to sort of tackle racism. There are too many parties letting each other down. One of the biggest one of them, in my opinion, are the judicial systems. They're not doing enough. Obviously, social media is not doing enough. Society is not doing enough. And footballing bodies aren't doing enough either. I mean, if, even if just one of those fails to do it, the whole circle collapses. But the fact Ooh. is, all of those aren't doing enough. It's That's essentially where the problem is. And when you have that, when you have that apathy, it just it kind of tells these racists, it tells these scumbags to kind of just carry on doing what you're doing because nobody really cares. Not everybody's sort of, you know, pulling a blind eye to it. And, you know, that, that apathy essentially causes chaos. And it's, yeah, it, it's worrying to see where we go from here. I'm hoping that all this talk actually turns into action. But I, I think Matt um, on one of the previous shows said that, it brought up a really good point that Marcus Rashford made is that we've been talking about this for years and for decades and just saying that something needs to be done. Nothing has been done. It's, it really dumbfounds. I think that's the thing. I think, you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily say we've gone back to the levels of things like the seventies and eighties and stuff. Um, where I think in the terraces, the, the, the racism and discrimination was absolutely appalling. Um, I say by today's standards, but it never should have been there anyway. But I think, no. you know, people are more educated and I think there is a lot more um, acceptance of, of, of everyone. Um, I think what's alarming is the massive increase on social media. Um, I think it's given a, people an anonymous platform mm. to whether they're views are necessarily um of that nature i mean whether racism is sort of something that they genuinely believe or they're just using it as a, a target tool to get at people i mean it's absolutely disgusting if that's yeah. the case anyway um but i think that given that anonymous platform i think they they're utilizing that fact and social media really does need to come down hard on these people but the problem is if they what, what do they do they ban an account they just set up another anonymous one mm. and do exactly the same thing and i read recently about the the lad who um held abuse to ian wright mm. and went i believe it went to court and he got away scot free yeah you know and it, it's you are right i think it's across the board i think you know we've been talking about it for so long there's no punishment there so people no. keep doing it. yeah and i think that with the rise of the right wing that we're kind of seeing in in this era which i never thought i would see again in my lifetime mm. um i think the rise of the right is is making these things more acceptable um mm. when you've got a prime minister i mean i'm i'm focusing quite a lot on the the premier league discussing it this because it's obviously what we read regularly in the news and stuff over here yeah uh, might be different for you obviously in 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 the netherlands but you know, from the Premier League side of things, I think when you've got 
Boris Johnson, who's your prime minister, who in the past has made such remarks about Muslim women looking like letterboxes and stuff. People all of a sudden see that guy as the leader of the country mm-hmm. and believe that that kind of thing is acceptable. Yeah. It's not. It never has been and it never should have been. But, mm. you know, you've got that person leading the country. You've got Brexit. You've got Nigel Farage with his xenophobic yeah. views, just horrendous. Mm. Um, I'd still believe that the um, the sort of the work that Donald Trump had in place in America is is still massively got an effect on mm. on the world, and it will do for a long time. That sort of division, that hatred that he spews, whether it be subliminal or not, it's it's got its roots set in deep. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that with, as I say, the rise of the right. You know, with with people like uh, Donald Trump, with people like Johnson and Farage in this country, these people probably still held these views, which is it's, it's amazing in 2021 that there's not more educated people out there. Um, and I think it's just giving people the platform, you know, they're giving them the, the ability to express these views and these opinions. And the amount of people I've seen saying, obviously following the what started off as the BLM protests by taking the knee and stuff, which has now actually moved on to a anti-racism stance within the Premier League rather Mm. than supporting that one sort of movement. Um, Yeah, it's people are saying that it's causing more of a divide. It's not. It's actually people just now coming out and expressing their true beliefs and it's scary. It's scary to think that these people are actually out there. Mm. They're in the terraces, they're in the stands, and they're passing this down to their kids, and their kids are going on to social media, and they're using these tools as a way to abuse players because of the colour of their skin or their beliefs. There's yeah. no wonder that there are so few openly gay footballers because it's just the discrimination stuff is absolutely mm. horrendous. Um, I, I can't believe it exists in 2021, let yeah. alone at the level of that, mate. It's, it's sickening. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I don't know if you're bothered by this the same way that I am, but when abuse of any form, whether it be racial, sexual, homophobic, just whatever it is, gets kind of pigeonholed into this category of it being political. I'm sorry, but none of it is political. In my opinion, it's more of a human issue. It's more of an issue, like people should just not be throwing abuse at people and then sort of having it sort of said, oh, you know, this is all political. We can't tackle this because it's, you know, it's not something that we want to drag into the sport, so on and so on. This isn't a political issue. This is a human issue, like I've said it needs to be stamped out and it can't be accepted and it can't be sort of, like I say, dragged into this political stance where it gets too, um, it sort of murkies the waters too much for people to get involved and deal with. It's fairly simple. Just stamp it out. The, the, the ways in which we stamp it out, that's where it gets complicated. I understand that social media giants such as Twitter and so on, their hands are essentially tied when they, you know, it is, to an extent, it is important keeping anonymity, but at the same time, they have to make a decision. Is is anonymity as important as sort of keeping abuse and keeping um, racism and 
sexism and whatever it is, keeping that out of the the channels and out, off of these platforms. In my opinion, I think the latter is way more important. Yeah, I agree. Um, and that's the thing. A lot of people going back to the taking the knee, um, that side of it, people are saying that football shouldn't be politicised. I think we said it before. It is already, you know, there is so much right-leaning fans in the stadium that mm. as soon as something slightly to the left comes in, they're like, oh, it's politicising football. It's not. It's just common decency. Um, society needs a massive change. I think one of the issues with social media is because they're a global platform, they would have to have hell of a lot of work and support with every country in the world because I think the only way that you can really stamp it out is, I mean, if, you know, someone hurls abuse at, let's say, Marcus Rashford, I, I don't know many people who could at the moment, you know, he's been such a pioneer for some of the things he's done recently, and I, I respect that whole, uh, wholeheartedly. Yeah. Um, but if someone from, say, China, or maybe not China, because I don't think they have access to social media, um, <laughs> Japan or something like that, um, Australia, you know, yeah. someone decides to hurl abuse at him because of the colour of his skin. You know, then if that was, say, on Twitter, then Twitter have got to inform the local authorities of Australia and their government's views might not necessarily be the same as ours. So I think with it being such a global platform, uh, all of social media being a global platform, mm. I think that's where the elements become really difficult. And yes, you know, they could... If it's a Premier League player, the UK or English-based um, Twitter, I'm sure they've got offices here. They could report that to our um, our police and stuff because it is hate speech at mm. the end of the day. It's, I, I can't even believe it has to be classified as something like hate speech because it just shouldn't exist. Um, <laughs> but, you know, and they could go down that route. But from... The issue then all of a sudden, you know, we're, we're, we're only looking at it on a small scale because there could be English football fans out in America and they'll abuse English, um, English league players. And then, yeah, they've got to pass it on to them. And will they see it's so, so difficult. I think there needs to be some serious, serious um, things done by the Premier League. Yeah. Um, you know, stadium bands and stuff like that are fine but it doesn't it doesn't stop the abuse they'll just take it elsewhere i think yeah. i think it really needs to come from the top and i think there needs to be some drastic changes within uh, the judicial system um that's where it needs to start for me um you know i think there needs to be serious punishment for it i just don't think the punishment at the moment fits the crime with, with, with that Ian Wright example that you mentioned, because I'm, I'm reading it here, but the judge actually said he didn't see anything to be gained from handing out a criminal conviction. I mean, for, for me, what kind of message is that sending out? It's, it's made it come across like it's a really minor issue. Mm. And it's not. Um, it's a massive issue um, around the world. But if we're looking at it on a, on a small scale and looking at it within this country... Um, it's scary. It's scary yeah. to think that there's nothing to be gained. Well, 
set the standards, mm. you know, set the bar of if this is what happens, this will be the end result. But he just set a precedent for, for future things now. And it's, yeah, it's scary. And the stuff that Ian Wright endured, it wasn't even from when he was playing football. And that's the scariest thing as well. It's not like, I mean, I'm sure Wright has suffered serious abuse down the years because obviously mm. he was playing in an era when when racism was still quite rife in the terraces. Um, this was this was a, a recent thing. You know, yeah. I think it was only a couple of years ago. It's taken this long to get to, to the courts and then they kind of just washed the hands of it. Judging Wright's response as well, I think he was more shocked by the the response from the judge than he was from the actual abuse itself i mean that says a lot it really does um and it's you know that's scary it really is scary that they just sort of these things are allowed to go on and allowed to happen without there being what simply should just be tackled and it should be stopped there and there and a message should be sent out it's just quite simply it needs to be punished it needs to be obviously each you know, um, each crime has its own uh, case and, and, and there are different ways to look at different cases. But all of these need to be looked at and they need to be given the appropriate punishment. But it, that just doesn't seem to be the case. No, I agree. I agree. I think they're not, they're not punishing the crime. No. They're just washing the hands of it. And it's sickening. Mm. You know, it's 2021 wake up you know stuff like this needs to be stamped out and i think as it's as it's viewed in society you know if they go well i can get away with this it'll just keep pushing the boundaries Mm. so it'll start with online abuse but then this will start to form into society and yeah and it'll just filter down i mean one of the things and it was really upsetting so one of the things i saw the day after the brexit vote and I, I do believe that Brexit is part of the rise of this within this country. Yeah. Um, and it was I think very that, much racially charged, Brexit was. Like. <laughs> completely, completely. I don't care what anyone says. It mm. really, really was. Um, and it's not even necessarily racially charged based on the, the, the colour of someone's skin. It's just no. because of people from another country. Xenophobic, wasn't it? Yeah, just completely. And... I always remember the day after the results came out and they voted to leave, someone spray painted on the side of a mosque, you know, um, we voted Brexit, go home. Something along those lines anyway. Yeah. It's just like, the, uh, the irony behind that is that Brexit didn't even affect people who would necessarily have gone to the mosque. You know, obviously it's <laughs> a, a large base of Asian people who yeah. were probably born in this country anyway. Yeah. But, the intelligence levels there, it just shows that they don't know that Asia isn't in Europe and <laughs> that immigration would never really follow those things. And I think that's that's part of the problem. Mm. Um, these things have kind of helped being bred by by the Brexit vote, by the, the xenophobic, xenophobic views of, of people mm. like Farage and stuff. Yeah. And they have helped breed this into society and people don't know what's you know, up, down, left, or right. They just literally follow the narrative that's been fed to them mm. um, when 99% of it was just pure lies. Um, Boris Johnson himself, before he became prime minister, said that leaving the EU would be the worst thing in the world. 
he all of a sudden becomes the poster boy for it because he wants the power of being the prime minister and that's how he saw his way in. Yeah. He doesn't even believe in it. And it's just, yeah, it's, it's scary that it, it bred this xenophobic views and the, the, the mm. racial views. It's just, well, it's not bred them. It's there. It's yeah. just given them a platform to be voiced. Um, yeah, I, I definitely think having, you know, those low-life IQ'd individuals having that platform to sort of spew racist abuse and, and whatever it be um, is is such an issue. But what's your thoughts on on Twitter and Facebook and all these social media giants? What's your thoughts on them sort of initiating identity enforced profiles? Do you, do you think that's the right way to go? I would like to see it happen. Um, mm. But I think from a standpoint, from my standpoint and probably from yours as well, when you've got nothing to hide, doesn't matter and I think all of a sudden you have to look at the invasion of privacy and things like that and it's it's difficult but then at the same time you are signing up to a private company mm. or a public company you're, you're signing up to utilize a, a company um, and you have to agree by their terms and conditions now if there was something in the terms and conditions that basically state if there is anything that we can, will report you to the authorities for we will do that and your mm. privacy rights are null and void. If you agree to those terms, I don't see how they would actually have a leg to stand on. I think the courts would probably take a different view on it. But for me, yeah, it, they've got to tackle it and they've got to tackle it hard as well. Thank you so much for listening to The Triple F. If you could please drop a like on our Facebook page, subscribe to the YouTube channel and follow us on Twitter, that would be massively appreciated. Hope you're all keeping safe and thanks again for listening to The Triple F. This is an idea that I've just kind of thrown out and I might just be, I've had a beer, so maybe that's the, the reason. But is it possible that, you know, especially when it just comes to football, that if somebody um, or these fans, let's just say uh, West Ham fans, they um, want to talk about West Ham and so on and so on on their Twitter feeds and, and blah, blah, blah. And obviously they'd be allowed to talk um, and communicate through other channels uh, and other teams if they so wish. But perhaps just keeping it within football and those football fans that maybe sort of connect it to, to season ticket holders or ticket holders or members or whatever it be, and they are kind of their identity as soft as it be, because I don't want it to be hard identities. We don't want it to be, uh, you know, uh, in terms of currency or anything like that, but in terms of just, just some sort of soft identity, whether it be, you know, a telephone number or an address or whatever it be, that's them sort of identified. And then they're sort of within that database, within that channel, within the club, um, that West Ham, they're able to identify whether that person is safe to have within this channel of Twitter or where, you know, with West Ham's channel and so, so on and so forth. Maybe, maybe that could work. I don't know. Yeah, I think it's difficult because the, I think the reason that people use a lot of social media is, is 
it's a communication tool and I think it then branches into things like that. Prime example is obviously myself. Um, I think that, um, you know, I've got my pages and stuff that I monitor and, but that's how I found St. Pauli or mm. how I how I found other St. Pauli fans, I should say. Um, yeah. You know, it was a, a drifting leaf in the wind at one point, um, you know, and then yeah. all of a sudden I got onto there and I sort of found them. And so I think people use social media as a bigger aspect. I, I, I kind of get what you're saying by sort of almost having a social media for, for football mm. to a degree, but I think there is too much more to it than that. Yeah. I, I suppose I you, do, you do take away the freedom aspect. I suppose it's like, you know, you, you're kind of confined within sort of one space and that's, you know, that's possibly not ideal, but yeah, it's just, it's difficult. I think, you know, the, the fact that we're having a difficulty to, to come up with a solution kind of just represents how hard this is because it's not, it's not an easy issue. And I do have a bit of empathy towards the, the sort of social media platforms and so on and so forth but yeah this is where they really need to to sort of make their money's worth and they need to figure something out and they need to come up with some sort of solution that's going to please the masses i agree i think you know it's at the moment we're spitballing ideas between you and i across the pond as it were but Hmm. i think when you've got companies the size of twitter facebook um I think that they've got enough guys who deal with all their security aspects and things like that and the legalities and stuff. They've got people who are employed to know these things. And I think that for me is where these are the guys that should be pulling the strings on on ways forward and throwing ideas out there and seeing what they can do, what they can't do. Um, you know, just as, as you were saying almost about that sort of soft um, soft data hold about yeah, when you were talking about the, the sort of the social media or the, 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 the not pigeonholing, but putting people into that one direction, mm. you know, it almost makes you think if people are actually convicted of this, having something built almost like the sex offenders register, um, you know, where their details are held. If you commit this crime, your details will be held on file. Yeah. And it, you know, be communicated out to the clubs um, things like that, so that if they try buying tickets, I know there's other way around that as well, but, you know, if you try buying tickets and stuff, they'll be like, no, because you're obviously an offender in that respect, you can cause trouble. And there might be something along those kind of lines where it's a punishment that I, I, I don't believe stern enough still. Yeah. Um, you know, just going on a register doesn't fit the crime, but it puts you on kind of a watch list and it would be more of a deterrent because these social media companies can provide that information to the authorities. They can trace it. They can come down on it. And obviously it has been the case with the Ian Wright trial. Um, they obviously have the person who abused him, whether he locked down his profile or whether it was an anonymous one and they trace it through an IHP or something like that. Um, an IP address, sorry, not an IHP. Um, I don't know. I haven't read fully on how they caught the guy, but yeah, if they put him on some kind of register, he would have been an offender. Mm. And that would affect him and stick with him for you know a long period of time. And I think that could be a, a means of a deterrent. It's not stern enough. I don't no. think it is. Um, 
but it's it's a start it's something that yeah. that might help at least break some of these people and and stop them being complete bellends you know <laughs> it's, yeah. i just I, it, it's such a difficult conversation to have because i you know yes we are the the, the lefty leaning people and we're the woke people as they would like to deem it and, <laughs> You know, when you've got, that's the other one as well. I mentioned woke and when you've got the newspapers and stuff who are coming out saying, you know, the government's war on woke people. It's like that. You're trying to create a war against people who are socially conscious about, mm. you know, about varying people of different cultures and, and backgrounds and histories. What's there to have a war on? And mm. it's things like that that, again, instigate the these people and feel like they've got this free platform because the woke people are supposed to be the ones that are silenced. Yeah. And that's just, that's fucking crazy, mate. It really, really yeah. is. I can't believe that. Um, yeah, it's, but, it's that that they need to stamp out. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that's kind of going back to what I was saying before. That's what infuriates me the most is that, you know, this idea of, of, you know, spouting racist abuse, being vile online whatever it be having that sort of dressed as being woke or being lefty or or having these sort of you know liberal political views for me it's not it's just about being a decent human being and just not yeah. being a bellend like you're saying and going online and and just absolutely making other people's lives misery just isn't yeah. just isn't right it's just a matter in my opinion in right and wrong and what's happening online is absolutely wrong and it needs to be stamped out completely agree and i know there's many fans out there as well who who also share these views it's not even necessarily on the left a lot of people you know when it comes to racism and stuff regardless of what their beliefs is or the political alignment or anything a lot of people will look down on those who are who are, are posting this kind of abuse it's just yeah, it is. It's right or wrong. Mm. And it firmly falls in the wrong category. Um, yeah. You know, not just on social media, but throughout society, through uh, throughout humanity. Yeah, fuck, man, it's scary. Yeah. Tell me about it, buddy. Right. Thank you very much for helping me to tackle that situation, because I know it's not easy. <laughs> it's not easy at all, but you did a fantastic job. Um, and... I don't know if we've given any right answers and that's the problem with it at the moment It's such a complex issue. It's such a, a, a hard topic to understand and to, to come up with any solution to it, but it is something that needs to be talked about. It is something that, that needs more awareness. There needs to be people that, you know, have this sort of apathy towards it and they, they need, there needs to be more done really. And it's kind of what I mentioned at the top of the discussion is that you know it, all these sort of areas across the board, the social media giants, the judicial systems, um, the the you know all of these sort of areas. What, another big one is society. I mean, us as fans, us as football fans, everybody that I'm hoping there's going to be some of you listening to this, uh, and I hope you're going to you know have a message come across and and sort of realise that this is at, at essentially at a boiling point and something needs to be done to to try and cool the waters if you, if you will yeah completely agree um 
And I think the reaction to people taking the knee, I think just shows that a lot more needs to be done in society. Mm. Um, you know, it's seconds of their life. Um, you know, the Millwall fans, when, when there was that brief stint where they were allowed back in the stadiums, booing players taking the knee. Mm. Society needs to wake up. Um, yeah. You didn't. You, know, you didn't really need another um, excuse to dislike Millwall fans, did you? <laughs> no, no. Western <laughs> background, mate. I just, yeah. And you know what? Seeing all the the St. Pauli fans and stuff um, on on the various groups and uh, the, the the fan groups and stuff that that I also follow as well. The result it was just like, yeah, trusted to be Millwall to make the first noise about it, and yeah, it's. They just give us more reason to hate them. And I don't think yeah. that's which club you're aligned to. Everyone just fucking hates Millwall. <laughs> yeah. If you're interested in coming on the show for an Under the Floodlight special to talk about your favourite player or manager, please email the thetriplef2021 at gmail.com or DM the thetriplef84 on Twitter. All contact details will be in the episode description. Hope you're all keeping safe and thanks again for listening to the F. Right, my friend, um, with that sort of horrible, well, I, I wouldn't say horrible talk, but important, controversial, serious talk out of the way, let's get on to one that's a bit more interesting, lighthearted, shall we say. Um, and it's the reason why I'm wearing this top right now. It's the Euro 96 kit going retro. Um, yeah, England 11s. Um, I'm quite interested to know what your your lineups are. Obviously, we've got the, um, I think there's World Cup qualification matches around the corner. They're at the end of this month. Um, the the competition, uh, the opposition that we've got in those matches isn't very difficult. So, kind of, you know, those lineups essentially are uh, irrelevant. But um, what is interesting is that obviously in June, when the Euros come around, that's where the lineups will be really interesting. So it'll be nice to to see who gets picked and and to see who um, is hopefully going to bring football home. It's not quite the World Cup football that we want to be brought home, but it's at least one type of football that we want home. Um, and yeah. Nice, mate. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's about fucking time. But um, <laughs> but yeah, I'd just be um, just to kind of set the precedent, really. That I, I first we, we we've got two lineups essentially that we're going to pick. So um, I'm going to go first. I'll, I'll give you my lineup that I think Southgate will pick, and then if you give me yours, and then we can yeah. sort of chew the fat on it really so I think he's going to go with Pickford in goal I, I think agree. I think he'll go with a formation of 3-4-3 three, three. so we've got Pickford in goal then it'll be Maguire Stones and Walker in that back three in my opinion um, Trent Alexander-Arnold um, as a right wing back then Ben Chilwell as a left wing back um, Rice and Mount in that um, in that sort of central midfield area uh, and then you've got a, a free a front free of Foden Grealish and Kane it's not my pick <laughs> I just have to remind people that's not my pick that's just what I think Southgate will go with I do although Chilwell he's not having the the greatest of spells at the moment I just think 
Southgate kind of has favourites. And I think with Chilwell, he'll sort of favour him. And obviously, we've got a bit of time up until um, up until the Euro. So if Chilwell is a quality player. He's just not quite in form at the moment. Yeah, I agree. I think I think I actually think he'll go for a different formation. I think he'll just go for a four-three-three. Um, right. And I, I do agree. I think he'll go with Pickford in goal. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a given. He'll be one of the first names on the team sheet because he has the experience under Southgate in, in England games. Um, I think the back four, he'll go with Trent Alexander-Arnold on um, right back. I think he'll go with Stones and Maguire in centre. And I agree, I think he'll go with Chilwell as well. He seems well in favour with Southgate. Yeah. I think he'll go for midfield three of Rice, Henderson and Mount. Right. Um, because I think he loves Henderson as well. Yeah. Um, and I think the front... Three, I think he will probably go with Kane. I think Kane's probably the first name on the team sheet. Yeah. Um, he's the best sent forward that we've got by far. And then I think he'll go with Sterling and Sancho. Right. Okay. No, that, that, that definitely does does make a lot of sense. I, the only reason I think I picked most of that uh, that Southgate's eleven based on the fact that um, that was more or less, I think, Trent Alexander-Arnold was the only player that wasn't but um more or less the 11 that Southgate picked for the last game that we played uh yeah I believe was Iceland yeah where we beat them 4-0 so that, that was kind of why I, I based it on that but then again I think he was kind of rotating and wrestling a lot of players so um yeah I probably should have thought about that one a bit more because <laughs> hearing what you said he'll definitely go with Sterling I think and he'll definitely go with Sancho um but then again, like the likes of Grealish, Grealish is an interesting because he's so good um, and he's so quality. He's kind of dropped off a little bit at the moment. I think that's possibly because Aston Villa just rely on him massively. And I think that, you know, the pressure is starting to show. But Grealish is is an incredible player. Um, I agree. I think he's... Um, I think he's he's too good for Villa. And mm. I think he's the reason why they're at where they're at at the moment. Mm. Um, I think he needs to stay on his feet more. Um, yeah. You know, I think he's got a bit too much of the South American flair in the, the respect that he likes to roll around quite a bit. But <laughs> I agree. I think he is the player that makes Aston Villa a team. Um, mm. They rely on him. Everything goes through him. Um, does it make him seem better than he actually is because he's the one that has to do everything yeah, I don't possibly. know I think even if not I think necessarily you know I think he would he, he'll be a, definitely in the squad yeah. I really really do I think yeah. he's a game changer I think Foden's a game changer as well mm. um, Foden doesn't necessarily get as enough time at City um, yeah. on the papers I think he should do but when you've got a squad like City's you can just play 10 games a season and, you know, still look like a fantastic player with the team they've got. But I think Foden's something special as well. Um, And he'll be a a Man City legend, I think. I think he'll be someone that's come through the use and will probably retire there as well, if he keeps up the way he's going anyway. My um, 11 is much closer to your Southgate's 11 than than mine was. (laughs) So um, I've got Pickford in goal. Um, I know 
Pope is is a, is a great goalkeeper, and and you could could essentially argue that Pope is a better goalie than than Jordan Pickford. However, I just think with Pickford, because Everton are doing so well, because they're kind of flying at the moment, I think Ancelotti has got him more or less playing in a in a different way. He's a lot more reassuring. He's a lot more commanding now in his box. He was a bit, he had slightly flappy hands all the time and it was a bit erratic at times at the best of times but I think in a way Ancelotti's kind of eradicated that out of his game so I'm quite satisfied to see Pickford playing so well and I do think he'll be and I do think he'll be worth having as our number one going forward Um, although Pope is is a brilliant option as a number two and I'm more than happy to have him there. And, and if Pope does sort of pick Pickford and, and gets picked, however, I, I do sort of think with Southgate, he loves Jordan Pickford. He's always going to be, he's always going to be his number one goalkeeper. You just, like, there's just no argument. But this is mine, uh, and I'll go with with Pickford as well. Um, I have actually got Walker as right back. I just think with a, a City player, because he's kind of got that ability as well to sort of sit in the centre back, maybe for cover when, when, um, you know, uh, would it be, I think it would be Sterling or Sancho, if uh, whoever's on that side will sort of roam out in front of him. He can just sort of sit into, into that centre back role or, or when Sterling needs to drop back, Sancho can sort of go in, uh, sorry, Walker can then sort of go into that, that role. And also if, if Southgate wants to play a, a back three, Walker's more than capable of playing as that, that third centre back. So I think he offers a lot. And like I was saying before with City, because they're doing so well, it's just good to have players that are on a high. Um, Maguire and Stones, I've, I've just... You've got, like, with Stones, I'm really happy as well that City are doing so well. And Stones is a big part of why City are doing so well. And I think he's he's a quality, quality centre-back. He did, he, ha- he does have a bit of a gaff in him. I think this season there hasn't been too many gaffes and it's really good to see that he doesn't make too many mistakes. Um, but he offers so much, whether it be going forward. Um, and I think you sort of mentioned it the other day as well with Stones... He's that type of player that's more like a, a defensive midfielder, more like a sort of centre back, a centre central midfielder than a centre back, and that's just kind of, you know, Stones um, sort of typifies that kind of player. Um, and then you've got my pick for left back. This is where it's a bit controversial. I'm actually going with Shaw. Um, just I was thinking with Luke Shaw. He's just he's really one of the main reasons why Man United are doing really well at the moment. Um, they've kind of dropped off. Obviously, they're not going to win the title. They're, they're out of that race. But nobody saw... I think at the, the early part of the Premier League this season, I think Man United were, you know, it was an absolute write-off for them from the start of the season. Nobody expected them to be at this point of the season now and they're in second. So they're comparing to where they were at the start of the season where it was all sort of a case of disaster they've, they've absolutely turned it around and sure sure is a big part of that and he's playing really really well um in the in the sort of midfield three i've got rice and henderson because well, they're just they're the best 
sort of central defensive midfielders, whatever you want to call them, that, that England have. And that sort of solid base of Rice and Henderson, uh, I mean, just, just on paper, it looks brilliant. Um, in front of that, you've got Foden for me. The guy is an absolute pearl of a footballer. He's, I, I don't know, maybe I'm sort of going overboard with this, but he's the closest thing to Gaza that we've had for a long time. The guy is, is just magic. And especially because he's a part of that city setup, the guy's confidence must be soaring through the roof. So to have well, him there. You, hmm. you made a brilliant comparison to Gaza there, and I would actually completely agree with that. But on that basis, he is probably the closest thing we've had. I'm sure people would have said about Deli Ali probably being that kind of creative hmm. and stuff, but I don't think he has the level of intelligence that. Foden has on a football pitch. No, I think he has got that something special. It's a consistency as well, though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, obviously, I, I flicked on the second half of the West Ham game the other day, and as soon as I saw them bringing him on, my heart sank because he was—you're just waiting for that one bit of magic mm. just to to change it all, and mm. you can do that. And he yeah. is, as you said, he's your Gaza, he's your Glenn Hoddles from years gone by. He has mm. that. And yeah, I agree. I think he is something special. Yeah. Yeah. And and then my forward line is Sterling Kane and Sancho. It's yeah, it's your Southgate's forward line. Uh why on earth I, I didn't say that for my Southgate's <laughs> pick? Because obviously, I mean, you can't go anywhere else and you can't go wrong with Sterling Kane and Sancho. It's you, you could argue maybe Rashford instead of Sancho, uh, but there's just something about Sancho. He's he's just so dangerous. He's got so much devil going forwards and he's so unpredictable. Um, but he's an incredible player. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm happy as an England fan. I'm happy to say that we've got all of those players because you, you, we haven't really talked about the subs either and the bench players. But the those players are what... What an absolute wealth of talent that we've got to pick from. There are a couple of differences in, in my team to yours, but I think there's a lot of consistencies there. Mm. But one thing I did do as well is there was a few players that I was looking at and I was like, I can't put them in my team. No. But the players that I think need a, a, a special mention. Now, so I, I actually went slightly different with my goalkeeper. Mm. I went with Pope rather than Pickford. I think that... Pope is a better goalkeeper. I think he's more consistent and I think he would come across as a better player in a better team. Yeah. Um, I think it's difficult to, to look at him and, and sort of say, well, you know, Burnley conceded four goals or whatever. Well, yeah, he did. But when you've had 20 shots from, uh, you know, from, you know, if Man City are playing, you've got Aguero and Jesus and stuff like that, you know, if, he, I think he's just a phenomenal shot stopper. I think he's he's very, very good at commanding his box in the air and stuff. And I I just think he is, he gives me more confidence than Pickford. Mm. I always feel like there's a mistake there with Pickford. Yeah. I also don't think either of them are the best England goalkeeper. I actually think Dean Henderson is. My problem with Dean Henderson is, unlike last season where he was playing at Sheffield United, he was playing every week and I think he really showed his class. This season, he hasn't played enough for Man United because he's got yeah. David De Gea. Yeah. Um, and I will be honest, I would say that if he was on loan at another club, I would have picked Henderson as my number one. Hmm. But on the basis that he hasn't got the 
He needs a move, he though, doesn't he, he, Henderson? He does. He does. Um, I genuinely believe that Man United don't want him to move because I think they see him as that uh, a player who will who will take over from De Gea. Hmm. He's too good. I just don't think he's just at De Gea's level yet, which is why they won't drop him. And yeah. you know, you wouldn't want to upset De Gea. And he's made a few clangers this season, so they brought in Henson. Hmm. But they're playing for a game and then bring De Gea back. And I think that's the problem. Um, but as I say, if he was playing at another club, if he was at um, an Aston Villa or a Leeds or someone like that, he would be my pick for number one. But instead, I have actually gone for Pope. He just gives me a bit more confidence. I've gone for a back four with Alexander-Arnold again. Um, he's not having his best season at Liverpool, but I think he's just the best right-back option we've got. Yeah. Um, I get your point about Walker with the versatility, but for me, if you're looking at a, a just a starting eleven and formation, I've gone. I think Alexander Arnold's a better option. Yeah. John Stone, John Stone's done the best season of his career, I think, with City. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Laporte being injured has actually given him a, a springboard to really push on and show that he's worthy of a position in that team. Yeah. Um, watching him, as say in the second half against West Ham, I thought he was absolutely phenomenal. Um, He's playing in a good Man City team, but he, yeah, he really did stand out for me. Um, with the wealth of talent they've got, obviously, other than De Bruyne, who is, for me, one of my favourite players in the whole world as well at this moment in time. I think John Stones was just, yeah, definitely one of their best players. Centre-back, I, the other centre-back I've gone for is a little bit out of left field, and I don't know what you'll think about this, but Bob <laughs> Holden. Oh, mate. You put you put a bit of a smile on my face. That's um, yeah, that is definitely out of left field. And yeah, I think. I, do you know what I've I've sort of when Arsenal bought him, and then all of a sudden he was out on loan. He couldn't get mm. in the team, and you know all these various things. I think all of a sudden now he's played more games this season than he's ever played for a, for Arsenal. Yeah. As far as I'm aware, don't quote me on that. But do you know what I think? He's having a fantastic storming season, and yeah. Maguire for me is is he's definitely up there, and I think I think Southgate will pick him. Mm. Um, but there's just something about Holden who makes me go, do you know what? He's he's got something, um, and he, I think he's finally starting to show that. No offense, in an based on on recent history and what I would consider an average Arsenal team, um, I think yeah. you've had better better teams in in history. Don't get me wrong, it's yeah. not a, a dig or anything, but. I think he's really starting to shine coming through. And I, do you know what? I actually rate a lot of Arsenal youth players as well. Mm. Left back, I've gone with Chilwell. But I was tiring with Saka as well. Because I think he's uh, an exciting talent. He's young, he's raw. And I yeah. like that. I mm. like that in a player. But I think Chilwell is is that sturdy. Yeah. But I forget Luke Shaw. Mm. And do you know what? That's a good shout. <laughs> He's probably having his best season for Man United. Yeah. Um, so I'd be undecided between those two. Now you've yeah. up short. I was like, hmm, <laughs> did I make yeah. the wrong choice? Um, I'm also glad you, you brought up Saka. Although I do think with Saka, he's more... Uh, I think even as a sort of left wing-back, that, that he only played it as that wing-back because we were just so desperately in need of having to play a back three. 
Um, and, you know, we couldn't really sort of use him as a left back. So left wing back was more or less the only option for him. He's not naturally a left wing back. You're wasted. If you don't use him in that front three, you're essentially wasting him. So, I mean, the thing is as well, I suppose if you're looking at him and Alexander Arnold, you're going to leave Stones and whoever else. Probably, yeah. You know, if it was a Southgate 11, Stones and Maguire. Maguire has got no pace at all, really. Mm. Um, and Stones isn't the quickest. He's a good footballer, but he's not the quickest. You'll leave them completely exposed. But I think if you went with Kyle Walker on the right and possibly Saka, it almost can turn when it in attack, you can almost drop into a back three. Mm. And Saka gives you that more width, which would allow someone like Sterling to join Kane in the box. So... I think he's an exciting potential and I think he could, I suppose it all depends what formation you go with. Yeah. Um, if you go with five at the back, wing back would good, be a good option. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, for me, I, he's another one of those players, I'd say that I think deserves a bit of a mention. You know, he's going to be floating yeah. around the England team. And he's I on the cusp. Years, yeah. I think in a couple of years, I think he's going to be yeah. there or thereabouts, but, yeah, I went with Chilwell, but now I'm starting to debate whether Luke Shaw would have been the better option. Um, That's fair enough. Now, I've gone for kind of two central midfielders, and I've actually gone with four up front, kind of. Mm. Um, it could be a 4-3-3. It could be a 4-2-3-1 kind of scenario. But right. I've gone with Mason Mount and Declan Rice. Nice. I think Rice is, for me, one of the would be one of the first names on the team sheet. I don't think... There is a better central def uh, defensive midfielder than him at the moment for England. I know people have talked about Phillips, and I, I know Longstaff was mentioned at Newcastle has been a better player than him, but yeah, just getting the bin. <laughs> yeah, um, that's ridiculous. Yeah, I know. Tell me about it. But for me, I don't think that he would be my out and out defensive midfielder. I think Henderson's more of a player. Um, no disrespect to Rice, I think Henderson's a better... Is he a better passer? I think maybe he's more risky than Rice. Mm. Which isn't necessarily a bad thing because he can spray the ball around, but so can Rice. I think he just needs to keep going as he is, and I think he will, that will just come naturally to him. Obviously, Henderson's a lot older than him. Mm. Um, so whether you meant with 4-3-3 or 4 two, three, one. I've actually put Foden in there as well, who right. you would probably put as that that one who would probably play ahead of Mount and Rice. Yeah, and the number um, 10, essentially. Yeah, I think with Mason Mount and Rice as well, I think their history from going through the Chelsea Academy, their friendship, I think yeah. would give them a good connection on the football pitch, and I think it will work. I think it's a shame they don't play in the same team. Mm. I would rather see that at West Ham than I would at Chelsea. Um, yeah, but I, I also wouldn't drop Suchek as well because I think it's phenomenal. But you know, mm. we're on England here, um, yeah. and I don't want Rice to go to Chelsea. I think if they played together at club level, I think they would just be the heart of England. Um, yeah, then you've obviously got, as I say, phone. Uh, I agree with you, as we said, he is that special player, that Gascoigne. He's he can make something out of nothing, mm -hmm. um, real gem, and then. Yeah, whether you call it a front three or, or you know, two behind and one up top, it's Sancho, Kane and Sterling. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sterling for me is just an, a 
phenomenal player. And I think over the last couple of seasons, he's just pushed on and became just sometimes just watching him is just a, a joy. Yeah. Um, Kane is the best cent- out and out centre forward um, that we've got. And I hate that he plays for Spurs. And so, <laughs> Me too. Mate, uh, yeah, as I say, I hate Spurs almost as much as Millwall. Um, but <laughs> Glad to hear yeah, that. It's a shame he played for for Spurs, but he is the, he's just a phenomenal centre. Do you think Kane needs to move from Spurs? It's a tough one. I think if Spurs can meet his aspiration, uh, oh God, this hurts saying these things. Is that ever going to happen though? You are? Is that ever going to happen? Are Spurs ever going to win a trophy? A big trophy of that? They bottle it every year. If they make four, I think that's a good season for Spurs. And, you know, they might flirt with a title push, but they'll always have a bad patch. Um, I don't think Mourinho is the manager that he was. Um, You know, I've said that since he was at Man United. I don't think he's the end of the momentum him being. Um, I would like to see Kane move. Um, Whether it's a need, and it's not just wanting because he plays for Spurs. It's, I think that he would be the centre forward for any any club. Mm. Um, You know, Chelsea with with their wealth of talent that they've got or Man United or um, you go abroad. Yeah. I don't think he'd fit in a, in a Real or a Barcelona. You I've, know what? I would love to, I'd love to see him take Lewandowski's place. I was literally going to say that. You beat me to it, mate. But yeah, yeah that's, a, that's a great shout. Considering Lewandowski is, you know, is towards the sort of November years of his career. There, there, mm. there needs to be a successor, and I mean, who who better than Harry Kane? And I think yeah. Harry Kane would really fit that Bayern Munich mould perfectly. Just yeah. real sort of direct, effective um, style of play. He'd be brilliant there. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think do you know what they're cut from the same cloth. Those two, and mm. while yeah, as you say, Lewandowski's now getting on a bit. I think it's crazy that he's having one of the best seasons ever. He's playing as well as he ever has done, if not better. Um, but it, he, he won't keep going no. for very long. Um, you know, and I think if you put Kane in his place with players like Komen and Sane and stuff for supply, yeah, he'll, he'll flag them. It's a scary he, prospect. Yeah. And they could literally, Bayern could just, if they bought him from Spurs, it would be a world record transfer. I think, well, maybe not, but it would be, you know, you're exceeding your yeah. 100 million kind of thing. Um, I, think, I think that's you, perhaps one of the reasons why it's more unlikely to happen nowadays. Obviously, with COVID and everything, yeah. um, it's going to be difficult to see him move on. But yeah, if it were to happen, I think it, it was probably more likely to be a, a big money club like Bayern or or PSG even, somewhere yeah. like that, that have got absolute reserves of money available. I think we'd be ruined at PSG. I genuinely do. I think mm. French football for me isn't at the right standard. He'd be going back to PSG. Poch though, wouldn't he? <laughs> yeah. I said he'd be going back to Poch at least. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think Paris Saint-Germain, you know, they, they don't need to buy the French league. Um, but it's, that's not what their target is. Their no. target is, is Champions League. They want to be the, the name in the in, in Europe, mm. um, which is why they have the wealth of talent and players. And 
if anyone looks half good, they buy him for ridiculous money and then they'll play the the weaker teams in the French league and stuff, and which there's a lot of them. Um, so, yeah, I genuinely think, though, if you could, if you look at the, the, the Bayern 11, I think if you literally just pick up Lewandowski, you could just drop Kane straight in. Yeah. And hit the ground. They, they, they would play to his strengths yeah. um, and his abilities. And, yeah, I think that's a perfect match for me. I genuinely think, I don't think the Bayern would have the money to buy him. But you never know what happens. Maybe Kane gets frustrated and runs mm. out of contract and Bayern snap him up. It, it's anything possible. So yeah. that for me would be the perfect fit in Europe. I don't think um, Italy would be good for Kane. I no. don't think Spain would be good for Kane. But I, I think, yeah, German football, mate, and Bayern is definitely the way forward. Yeah. No, definitely, definitely. Right, mate. That's um, that's fantastic. It was great, great lineup. I absolutely loved the fact you put Rob Holding in there. <laughs> that was that was really brilliant. I I do think Rob Holding perhaps needs another season, just to sort of there there is a little bit of a mistake in him now and then, um, and he's still for me. He needs to get to that point where he becomes the leader rather than the follower because I, I think he's still one of those players that needs to to have his hand held through games rather than him leading. But I think that comes through time, it comes through age, and I think maybe just that one more season will help to to um, establish him as that kind of player. But um, Possibly. one thing I will say is we've still got quite a few games yet before what would technically be the Euros in June. Mm. So yeah maybe he will start to develop that over the rest of the season. Um, as I say, he's, it's, it's probably his personality that he just needs to work on more. That That's personal strength, yeah. um, physical strength to, to command. And maybe his time at Arsenal was kind of just knocked the wind out of his sails a little bit, mm. you know, with the, and, and, and you know, the, the loan moves and stuff. Now he's getting that regular run. I think that's, that, mental strength will come once he knows yeah. that's his position i think that's where he'll push on he just needs to keep going mate and yeah watching june i think he'll be there or thereabouts i don't think he'll be a starter but i think there's the an england call-up will be yeah and you bring up a good point obviously in june we'll do one of these a lot closer um, possibly in in may or, or whenever it be but yeah we'll do one of these closer to to the euros and it'll be interesting to see how sort of different our starting 11s are because it, it might completely flip and change. But um, yeah, yeah, we, completely. We I think, yeah, I think, I think there'll be a lot of consistency there. I think there'll be a lot of the same players, you know, mm. your Bryce Kane, Foden, Sterling, Sancho, I think. But it, yeah, the one for me is whether De Gea can keep Henderson down. Yeah. I think that for me is probably going to be the biggest change and maybe Alexander-Arnold at, at, mm. at the back. Um, I think the rest of the team, I think we'll probably still be pushing on, mate. But yeah, it will definitely be interesting to see if anyone else takes a claim for it. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Well, we'll keep an eye on it. And um, yeah, we'll we'll definitely bring it up again when we need to. But um, yeah, thank you very much, Mike. Uh, really appreciate having you on the show again. And yeah, um, yeah, I'll see you until next time. Well, mate. Take it easy. There was nothing else at all in the whole world but football.